0: Hey listening family, we have some exciting news And we do have something exciting going on We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast And we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry Help people to walk out the truth To live out the truth To walk by faith and not by sight So we're going to stay the same We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth Today, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 3, with a message titled, Opinions and Reality. Mark, chapter 3, Opinions and Reality, is the text this morning. Mark 3. Who is Jesus? This is the critical question, not only in the Bible, but for all of our lives. So would you uh, bow with me for a moment? Father, we thank you for the precious people that have gathered on this Sunday morning to come, for some to come and know you better. Some are still maybe investigating. And some have been away for a while. And they miss you <laughs> because life without you is really uh, going nowhere ultimately. The Bible tells us all we need to know about Jesus, and you are the center. You are what the Bible is all about. And we know the four Gospels tell us everything we need to know. This is what you wanted us to hear about who you are, Lord, and you don't hide anything. You don't hide people's opinions about uh, what they said about you, the derogatory things that were said, the negative opinions, the confusion, and nothing is new under the sun, Father. Uh, We see articles come out in newspapers and magazines questioning the historical Jesus. Who is he? And Lord, this morning we're going to see clearly who you are. But we're going to also see that opinions and confusion are nothing new. And I pray that you'd bring clarity through your word. I pray that you would speak to us and we know you will because your word is alive and it's powerful. So please help us to set aside every distraction. We want to know who you are. We want to know the Jesus of the Bible. So please take what is on paper this morning in my notes and add and take away as you would will And tune our hearts, Lord, to hear what your spirit would say to us, that you may be glorified in each of our lives and that we may be those who are ambassadors of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 3, verse 20. Opinions and reality. And he, Jesus, Mark 3, 20, came home. Home is probably Capernaum at this point, not Nazareth, because Capernaum became his adopted hometown. And the multitude gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. We talked about Jesus' busy life last Sunday and how multitudes of people, uh, probably tens of thousands of people, were flocking to him. Uh, People were coming with all these desperate needs, coming from all the four corners of the state or nation of Israel. They were coming from Tyre and Sidon. They were coming from Judea and Jerusalem. They were coming from the other side of the Jordan. They were coming from everywhere just to hear him, some just to experience his power and it got so busy even when jesus jesus went back to capernaum that he couldn't even eat now i don't know about you guys but i pretty much prioritize my meals Uh, (laughs) when it's lunchtime it's lunchtime and if you know if it gets knocked back a half an hour i'm i'm okay an hour a little cranky but you know The joke is, we rarely miss a meal, right? Most of us in America, if you have teenagers, they must eat seven times a day. Uh, You know, I'm famished. When'd you eat last? It was 45 minutes ago. Oh, for their metabolism. That's what I pray for a teenager's metabolism. I used to be able to eat a burrito at midnight, and it was not a problem. In fact, uh, when I was playing racquetball years ago, this young guy, he was a really good racquetball player. He would show up with a bag of Del Taco, eat it outside the racquetball court, and then go in and wipe everybody out. That's a dream of mine to eat Del Taco. (laughs) But Jesus couldn't even eat a meal, life had become so busy. Uh, You know, no drive throughs back in the day either. Meals were usually times of deeper fellowship, and you had to do a lot of preparation to eat a meal. And he was so busy that he couldn't. He said, my food is to do the will of God. You know, would to God that we had the priority of heaven so much so that if we got inconvenienced because we had to talk to somebody about the gospel, if it put us behind schedule by 15 minutes, if we had to even miss a meal, to express the gospel to somebody else, would that be okay with us? Is is heaven's priorities so much your priorities that you're willing to bend your schedule a little bit, even be inconvenienced for the sake of Jesus and other people meeting him? You know, that's what ministry is all about. And that's what it means to die to yourself. But it's hard for us. And that's one of the things that Jesus was modeling, even to the extent that when the multitude kept banging on the door for more and more of his time, he skipped meals because he was more interested in people. And so here he is in his adopted hometown, doing miracles right and left, and he's so busy, so pressed. Arkent Hughes says, this pressing multitude was a desperate mixture At the center were the newly chosen apostles, the twelve. They were hanging on his every word. The scribes were turning over every syllable he spoke because they had come to destroy him. They did not believe in him. So they were measuring everything. Some in the multitude were eager, ecstatic, some quizzical, some perplexed, some livid, and some even blasphemous. Every extreme was represented. And at the periphery, Of the surging throng standing nervously outside was his family. You see, because the word was going everywhere about Jesus and he was doing these miracles, and people were saying, No one ever spoke like this man, word got to his family. And his family began to be concerned. And you're going to see a startling passage. In fact, you're going to see a startling passage that. Uh, is so shocking that some manuscript traditions tried to tweak it a little bit. Because you're going to see a section where his family says, we think he's lost it. We think he has lost his senses. We think, the Greek word here is, he is insane. Now, you could come to all kinds of conclusions and you can conjecture on the motivation of the family, but we know at this point, And among these brothers, and by the way, all the brothers of Jesus were younger because he was the firstborn of Joseph and Mary. And I know some of us, you know, we have backgrounds where uh, we are not sure that there were additional children, but the Bible is clear that Mary and Joseph had additional children. Mary was a virgin until after Jesus was born. Then they went on and had a normal marital relationship. And Jesus had brothers And among them, two of them wrote books of the Bible. One of them is the book of James. James became the leader of the Jerusalem church, but he did not believe in Jesus, apparently, until after the resurrection. Another one of his brothers that wrote a book is called Jude, and that's the book right before the book of Revelation. But these brothers who grew up with him did not believe in him. John 7, verse 4, if you want to write it down. It says, not even his brothers were believing in him. This may dispel some of the notions that Jesus was doing all kinds of miracles as a child. I know that there's these ideas that you know, Jesus was a miracle worker as a child. But the only true records we have in the Bible are the birth narratives in Matthew and Luke. And then we have Jesus going back to the temple at twelve. Not doing miracles, but surprising people by his biblical knowledge and his wisdom at 12, but no record that he was doing miracles. This is all extra biblical stuff, and it's interesting to speculate. I know there's a movie out right now that you know tries to fill in some of those details, and I've heard some pretty good things about that movie in terms of at least speculation about the relationships and stuff, but there's no record that Jesus was doing miracles as a child, If he was doing miracles left and right, don't you think his brothers would have believed in him? So Jesus was fully human, and it would appear from the biblical record that he does not really begin to reveal himself until he's 30 years old at the Jordan River when he asked John to baptize him. And the Spirit comes down, and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Again, this is just uh, conjecture. It's not... Huge to the story, but it is interesting that his brothers don't even believe in him. Verse 21 says, when his own people, if you have the ESV or NIV, it says his own family. And this is a Jewish, uh, this is a colloquialism, by the way. Uh, And a colloquial expression uh, is his, it could be his family, his relatives, or his friends. But whenever you wonder about the way to translate uh, something that could have multiple meanings, you look at the context. And later on, his family appears. I think it's in verse 31. And they're standing outside the door and asking for him. So the logical conclusion is that the family or the, the, the people, his own people here, verse 21, if you have the NAS, uh, when his own people heard this. They went out, notice, to take custody of him. Just a side note, this is the only gospel writer, by the way, that mentions this specific incident that the family thought that he had lost his senses and some scholars believe that mark is the earliest gospel that really doesn't matter much but the bible is telling us as we we get different gospel perspectives about what was going on and it says when his own family heard of this they went out to take custody and iv says to take charge of him esv says to seize him it's the idea of arresting him For they were saying, look at verse 21, he has lost his senses. I think some of the other versions say he has lost his mind. Wow. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lanson. This is Living Truth Radio and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button, and for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now back to the teaching. You know, if the Bible writers were trying to make up a story about this clearly divine one who nobody ever had a doubt about his identity and what his, you know, origins were and that he was truly the god man from heaven, do you think the Bible would record this if this was a cooked-up story? Do you think the gospels would actually say that some of his the people who should have known him best thought he had lost his senses? This lends more uh, clarity and, uh, to the truth of the Bible for me, that the Bible's very honest about what was happening. There were varied opinions about Jesus, just like there are varied opinions about him today. But the varied opinions, in fact, uh, apparently a group closest to him thought he was insane was his family. And some of you say, I can totally relate to that. See, some of your family, you think they've lost it, and some of your family watching you think you have lost it. (laughs) And it depends on the day of the week whether or not you think I have lost it. But uh, anyway, they thought he had lost his senses. And, you know, to put it in a modern way, the family apparently thought they needed to do an intervention. They thought they needed to somehow talk him down. The idea here is they wanted to come into Capernaum and say, Jesus, you need to come home. Come back to Nazareth. Stop this. And among the family, get this, we will find out in a few verses, is Mary, his mother. And with all that's happened to Mary and the, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke and the angelic visitation and the, the stuff in the temple with Simeon and Anna, how in the world could she have any doubt about who he was? But maybe, and I think that this is the way to go on the grace side in, our, in terms of our conclusions, is I would say that their motivation was love. And For Mary, maybe it was, you know, remember, word is spreading everywhere about what he's doing. He's the talk of the whole nation. Maybe for her it was, I need to rescue him. You remember when Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms and he began to uh, praise God because his eyes had beheld his salvation. He had a promise from the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. But then he told Mary, a sword is going to pierce. Your own soul. This child is set up for the rise and the fall of many. Many people are going to be exposed just by his very life and a sword's going to pierce you. And her whole life, I'm sure, do you think she would have ever forgotten that prophecy? I don't think so. It doesn't matter that it's been 30 years plus. So maybe she's going as a mom would go, saying he's in trouble. Could she ever have imagined with all the angelic stuff that happened and the early miracles of the birth of Jesus. Could she have imagined that Jesus would be at odds with the religious leaders who I would imagine she respected? Remember, she was just a little young teenage girl from Nazareth. Yeah, she was special in terms of being chosen by God to birth the Messiah. She seemed to love God. That's clear from the early gospel stories. But could she have imagined that the religious leaders at this point were plotting to destroy her son. That they were saying that he was a false messiah. I mean, all moms have their tendencies to want to rescue their children. And all the mothers said, Amen. Say it really softly. Amen. (laughs) We know that mama bear kind of thing, right? You mess with mama's children, look out. (laughs) It's not safe. And so maybe that's her motivation. I don't know for sure, but it's hard to imagine that she would be confused about who he was. The brothers definitely were. And this is insightful, isn't it? It's both insightful and it's painful. Imagine Jesus. Many, many times in the Bible, we see that he knows what's going on. He knows people's thoughts. He knows things that only... The Son of God, God the Son, could know supernatural insights. How must this have pained him to know that his own family was questioning him? It's one thing when people are saying stuff about you. It's another thing when your family doubts you. This is the stuff that Jesus went through. And remember when I told you that if you are stressed out or You know, feeling under the gun, you have a high priest who understands. He was under pressure all the time. But even more, our great high priest knows what it's like to be denied by the leading apostle, betrayed by another apostle, and even have his family question his sanity. Wow. That's who you go to in prayer, by the way. He can totally understand all the aspects of life that we go through. And I'm sure he was pained as they came and tried to take charge or custody of him and said, He's lost it. New King James, ESV, NIV all render this. He is out of his mind. And this is how Mark records what is happening. Jesus later will take the disciples, go to Mark chapter 8. He's at Caesarea Philippi, up in the northern part of Israel. And he begins to question them. He's getting ready to die. It's at the tail end of his ministry. Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus, Mark 8:27, went out along with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Look at Mark 8:27, who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, thou art the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And we'll come back to this in a later study, but I just want you to know that at some point in your life, it's going to come down to this question, back to Mark 3, who do you say that he is? You know, ultimately, the Bible teaches that you're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. You're going to, in fact, the Bible says in John chapter 5 that all judgment has been given to the Son. The Bible says if you don't have the Son, 1 John two twenty three, you don't have the Father. The Bible says that unless you believe Jesus says that I am, you will die in your sins. And the Bible teaches that one day Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. Sheep on his right hand, goats on his left. And he will say to some in these uh, you know, stories later in the Gospel of Matthew, people will say, Lord, open to us. Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Lord, let us into the wedding banquet. And he will say, depart from me. This is Jesus talking, by the way. I never knew you. You know, all of life really comes down to who do you say that Jesus is? And then do you know him? people say oh wait a minute christian that's a little too near narrow now that's a little aren't you shoehorning people aren't, aren't you making this you know really an exclusive type of deal no i'm not making it one and if you have a friend or a coworker who accuses you of making this too narrow just tell them i didn't make it narrow man He's the one that said it. Your argument's not with me, sir or ma'am. It's with Him. You can come to whatever conclusion you want to, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can either take Jesus at His word or not, but you cannot set aside the clear proclamation of the Gospels. You can't. You can come to your own conclusions. In fact, in a free will universe, However you work out your own view of salvation, part of it is on man to repent and believe and trust in what the Bible declares about Jesus Christ. If you don't want to do that, Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me. But here the Bible's being honest that there were people, and and some I'm sure in the crowd, who progressively Had their eyes open. And and I think that that's legitimate. And by the way, this does not mean that you can't ask questions. You should ask questions. Do your homework. Look at the resurrection accounts. Wrestle with the biblical Jesus. You should do that. It's not wrong to ask questions. It's not wrong to even be on a journey where you're trying to figure out if this is what you want to believe, because I think you should. I think you should do some of your own homework. But in the end, you're going to be faced with the biblical Jesus. And here's what people love to do. They love to redefine Jesus. And here's what people say. Other religions say he's a way shower. Uh, Other people say, yeah, he's a good moral teacher, but he's certainly not God. And people want to redefine him. What if someone did that to one of your family members? What if someone said, oh, that's not really your family member, and they weren't really born over here, and that's not really who they are. Would you be a little upset if they said that about your mom? Or your family heritage? I would. say, so, what are you talking about? That, that's my family. Well, here's what people do on the planet. They redefine Jesus so that it's not so narrow so they can hang their hat on, you know, there's got to be another way. And I understand that. It's a little bit more convenient for people. But this is what the Bible is telling us. It's even worse. The family thought he had lost it. Verse 22, Mark 3 says, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. So here's kind of a delegation from the religious capital. We would uh, conclude here that they were an investigative party kind of sent from the capital religious center to verify that maybe Capernaum was under this a delusional messianic figure and from their perspective they were just going to take notes and validate that he can't be the Messiah they didn't want to believe in him so they went the scribes or Pharisees probably sent out from the Sanhedrin the ruling council of the day and they were saying they took it a step further they said he's possessed by Beelzebul and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons wow family said uh, i think he's lost it a little bit religious leader said he is possessed this is the varying opinions that were happening when jesus was walking the planet Welcome, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz, producer of Living Truth Radio, and I'm here with Pastor Michael in the studio. Pastor Michael, I have a question that it seems most new believers in Christ have in the back of their minds, and the concern always comes out. What is the unpardonable sin? Great question, Oscar. And I would say it's not just new Christians, but it may especially hit them hard because they read a passage like this and they say, oh my goodness. There's something that's unforgivable Mm -hmm. that won't be forgiven in this life nor the life to come. And if it is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what exactly is that? And I've even heard people call in, you know, uh, like Q&A programs and say, I think I committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And usually you hear the pastor respond, well, if you think that you did it and you're concerned about it, you haven't. And here's why. And I think it goes back to something that you said in an earlier segment. I think it specifically has to do with the religious leaders of Jesus's day who saw his miracles in front of their eyes and attributed his work to the devil, basically, to the, to the Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And by doing that, they had taken the marvelous work of the Holy Spirit in opening the eyes of the blind, opening deaf ears, raising the dead, casting out demon after demon out of people. Incredible words, no one ever spoke like Jesus. And, um, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, calming of the sea, you name it, uh, and attributed that to the devil. And, and, and Jesus' response is, so Satan's casting out Satan? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. What you're saying is not even logical, let alone is it, is it totally in the face of the facts that are right in front of you. Mm-hmm. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of the living God, Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I think that's what they were fearful of, Oscar. And so to take it full circle, I think this particular sin, uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, was specific to that context first century Pharisees, Sadducees attributing Jesus' work to uh, Beelzebub. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona. Or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the Church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at LivingTruthCorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at LivingTruthRadio.org.